All right. So thank you for, for being here, and thank you for just all your, all your encouragements. Um, God is good, isn't he? I mean, he, he just is, uh, he is an awesome God, and we have the blessing right now of being here. In other words, the world didn't come to an end, did it? Right. All right. Um, and, you know, some of you, I'm sure, were, you know, were, were thinking, you know, what's going on with all that? Um, and, and I would just say that what's happened with the whole camping prediction is one of the reasons why our topic this morning is so important. Why expository preaching is so important. Expository preaching isn't simply about the guy who's preaching. It's far bigger than that, and, and it's really a, a, a philosophy of how we approach the Word of God. Whether it's preaching, whether it's teaching, whether it's in a small group, whether it's counseling. And, and hopefully, we'll, by the time we're done today, we'll see that. I would like for you, though, to turn your Bibles to a couple of passages. In fact, you know what? Just don't. Just, just listen, and I have these up on the screen for you. But as we read these passages... Um, shivers should be going up, up and down your spine if you imagine that these passages are a description of today. Okay? Here we go. Amos 8, 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Hmm. Another passage of scripture, 1 Samuel 3.1. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. In other words, God wasn't speaking through his prophet. He wasn't speaking so that the people of God were hearing his voice. It was rare. It just He wasn't doing it. Now, I mean, as I look at these passages, I'm just thinking about all the Bibles that I have, that I personally own. And a while back, I counted them. In fact, if you go on my blog, I have an article just about all these different Bibles I have and how blessed I am to have all these different Bibles. But, you know, it's like, well, which one am I going to pick today? You know, I mean, it, we have so many of them than my family and how many Bibles we have sitting on the shelves and in different places. And we just have tons and tons of copies of the Word of God. Is that true about your home? You've got lots of copies of the Bible. In fact, uh, you know, been doing ministry in Russia. One of the things that I'm asked every once in a while by people is, hey, can we get some Russian Bibles and you can take them with you? Yeah, I contacted Peter over there and he said, listen, don't bring Bibles. We have plenty of Bibles. It's not Bibles that we need. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're thinking that, you know, that's what is needed. Well, maybe in some languages it is. But we're living in an information age. We have so much as it relates to uh, the Word of God. We, we have the Word of God. It is there. The question for us today is this. Is the Word of God rare in our culture? Is there a famine for the Word of God in our culture? And I think the answer is both no, simply because we have plenty of copies of the Bible, we have plenty of places on the internet we can go to to get resources and helps and that kind of stuff. But the question might be answered yes, because the reality is, does the Bible have us? We have the Bible, but does it have us? What do we do with it? How do we approach it? Is it being used? Do we love it? Do we read it? Do we study it? Do we breathe it? Is it the foundation for our life? Is it proclaimed from our pulpits? Is it taught in our classrooms? And that's why we go to this first mark, expository preaching, and we must say this is so critically important. It begins with this. It begins with the Word of God. God breathed it out. He's created us as receivers of His Word. He's breathed it out so that we can understand Him. We can understand His heart, His desires. We can understand um, what He desires for us. We can understand His character. There's so much that we, we glean from the Word of God. It is our very sustenance. Listen to what Alish DeBeg says um, about this. Large sections of the church are oblivious to the fact that they are being administered a placebo rather than the medicine they need. They are satisfied with the feeling that it has done them some good, a feeling that disguises the seriousness of the situation. 
In the absence of bread, the population grows accustomed to cake. Pulpits are for preachers. We build stage, stages for performers. And he's speaking basically into the culture that says, let's build a stage. Let's create a platform. Let's, let's have more of an entertainment model. And let's, let's give people just a, you know, a taste, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, and ultimately, people go away feeling good. But it's a placebo. It's not the real food that they need. Listen to what uh, John Piper says here. Laughter seems to have replaced repentance as the goal of many preachers. Just ponder that. Laughter means people feel good. It means they like you. It means you have moved them. It means you have some measure of power. It seems to have all the marks of successful communication. That is, if the depth of sin and the holiness of God and the danger of hell and the need for broken hearts is left out of account. Now, here's another guy, C.H. Spurgeon. Evangelism of the humorous type may attract multitudes, but it lays the soul in ashes and destroys the very germs of religion. Yet, Spurgeon lectured to his students about the need for and the proper place of humor in the life of ministry, and, and, and even in messages. It wasn't, it's not saying that, that there should not be humor when we're, when we're unfolding the Word of God, but it's, what is the goal? Is the goal to be entertaining? Is the goal to make people laugh? Is it the goal to make them feel good? So they can have this kind of warm, fuzzy feeling as they leave a time of preaching and teaching? Or is it for lasting, Christ-centered repentance and change? So that's why we come to this passage today, and this is going to be our guide uh, for talking about the need uh, for expository preaching. And, and understand, we're, we're just going to be scratching the surface on this topic, but hopefully we'll be, we'll be you know, digging into the places that we need to. Um, go again to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and uh, you'll read it again. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. See, that's, that's the, the real crux of the matter. Is the preaching of the word taking place? Is it truly taking place? And my premise today is this, that God calls all pastors, all teachers, all parents, and counselors to be practicing and committed to expository preaching. You say, well, I'm a mom. I don't do expository preaching. I know you don't in the sense of what I do, but in the sense of ministering the word, you do. Or you need to. And that's how you should approach it. And I'll explain that here in just a little bit. By expository preaching, I don't mean a style of preaching, but the only way that a child of God should approach the Word of God and use it for the glory of God. So we're going to begin with the problem, the lack of expository preaching, and the results. Then I want to see the solution, which is expository preaching, we're preaching the word, then at the end we'll tease out some implications. Okay, so well, let's look at the problem. It's contained in this passage of scripture. Um, we've read it here. It's in the middle there. It says, for the time is coming when, right? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. As you look across the American Christian culture, just from your perspective, would you say that people tolerate sound teaching, that they're hungry for sound teaching. Now, that's going to be a subjective answer. Maybe the circles, you know, maybe you've been going to a church that's solid, that's, that's doing these things. You say, well, yeah, we, you know, I've been experiencing that. But as you look around, is that, you know, is that true? Are, are people hungering for that? Or is there a lack of it? This is a rhetorical question with some acknowledgement. You know, yes, no. All right, all right, all right. Very good, very good. Be with me, right? And it says here, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So a time will come when people will not put up with sound teaching. In fact, I, I hear this, and I hear this from believers that say, you know what? Let's not, let's not talk about doctrine. Because doctrine divides. So let's just talk about 
the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus. And, and, and the reality is, friends, they're just coming up with a new doctrine. And the new doctrine is that we don't talk about doctrine. Of course doctrine divides. It's supposed to divide because it says, thus says the Lord. This is what he says. It's not a wrong thing for doctrine to divide. Truth is truth, and it's going to expose error. Okay? We just don't like, say we, many people just don't like the specifics of that. They just want to keep it fuzzy so that no one can be held accountable. All right? People will find teachers that will teach and preach what they want to hear. I always thought about this, this kind of picture of you know, teachers having itching ears. And why would teachers have itching ears? I mean, how do you figure that out? But the point here is that the people's ears are itching, and they're looking for teachers that will simply say what they want them to say. It's just kind of like someone who's going for counseling. And they'll keep on going to counselor after counselor until they find a counselor that says what they want them to say, right? It's the same thing. People will find, I want to say, they want, they want to be religious. They want to be in the, you know, within the, the broad umbrella of Christianity. So they'll find themselves a church or a place where the, whoever's teaching will teach in accordance to what satisfies them. And that's the idea. So I go to XYZ Church. The pastor there doesn't keep hammering us about sin. He just teaches about God's love and how we should love others. You've probably heard that before. It says, they will turn away from listening to the Word of God. Often that isn't that they don't want the Word of God to be used. Okay? But, they don't want to be under the authority of the Word of God. See, this is very, very subtle. The Word of God is used in many contexts. Agreed? But it isn't necessarily um, that the people want to be under it. So here we have these, these four points. Ah, these four points. Get back. Or three points. There you go. All right. All right. So they won't endure sound teaching. They're accumulating teachers. Uh, they're turning away ultimately to myths. Now those myths could be subtle distortions that are within the, the, the broader Christian culture. Or they could be pagan myths. And oftentimes it's pagan myths that are brought into the Christian culture under the guise of some kind of a Christian teaching. And why is it that that will happen? Because people don't want the truth. They want something other than the truth, and so they will turn to it. They will grasp it. So, friends, there's a need then for some kind of a solution. Would you agree that we are living in a culture that is um, confused as far as its ideology. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And that even enters into the church. Now we want to try and take this big lump of what we're talking about as far as this problem. I, I might want to call it a need or an urgency for expository preaching. I want to tease it out a little bit here by, by just talking about different kinds of preachers. You may have read my blog this week and this comes from that. But here, here are just different kinds of preachers. And I'm not trying to pick on any particular person, but I want to pick on um, different kinds of styles and approaches to, to preaching, okay? And just think this through. I don't have this up on the screen, so just kind of listen and, and, and let me paint the picture. First of all, there's the cheerleader. The cheerleader's goal is to go, rah, 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 you know, love Jesus, he loves you, go out and everything's going to be fine because you're one of God's children, yay, 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 rah, rah, rah. Okay, you may know of someone like that, you may have heard of someone like that, you may have experienced that kind of thing before. So he's, he's all about making people laugh, making, making people feel good about themselves, um, doing what he can to... to um, just to be a, a, an encourager to them, all right? Here's the next one, the, the conjurer. The conjurer is the one that comes up with all these new ideas that no one else has come up with before, okay? We, we know of one that recently was in the news, okay? And I would think, I would say that probably of all the things that are going to be on this list, probably this is more what is going on than anything else. Because they're finding things in Scripture that other people are not finding in Scripture. And anytime there's some kind of a new, strange teaching that someone is promoting, and it, it is different than orthodox teaching, you've got to put a red flag up and say, all right, what's going on here? 
especially if that person's getting the following. And I'm not talking about a rebirth of something that is good. I'm talking about some kind of a new, a new concept, a new idea. All right, that's the conjurer. Then there's the storyteller. This has been very, very popular, especially in our postmodern world, that says, you know, speaking propositional truth just will not be received by people. We've got to put it in some kind of a, a meta-narrative, and we've got to tell the story. And so we tell this story, and maybe through that story, someone's going to catch something. And... But the de desire is to avoid doing what God has called the pastor and the preacher to do. Now, certainly, preaching involves telling stories, Right? But it's not just a story. Um, the entertainer. The entertainer is the one who is really saying, all right, guys, I know, just relax, sit back, enjoy yourselves, and let me show you why you need to be here. Look at me. And they start doing all these wild things. You know, we use PowerPoint, right? But you notice on PowerPoint, we're not having little spin things coming around and flashes and all that kind of stuff. So you can sit back and go, wow, man, that's really cool. I don't want it to be cool. PowerPoint is simply a tool to help us. It is not really there so that you can look and say, wow, man, that's really awesome. I can make all the slides do all fangled stuff, right? But that's all a distraction. Okay? Now, there's so many other ways that, you know, someone standing who's supposed to be ministering the word God can entertain. It can be telling jokes. It could be being cute. All kinds of stuff like that. Then there's the systematizer. I know, hard to spell. Systematizer. The person who likes their system, okay? And it can be an ideology. It can be some kind of a... Take, for example, dispensationalism. You ever heard of that before? Okay? If you haven't, it doesn't matter right now, okay? But it's, a, it's, a, it's an approach to the Bible. But this person, it doesn't matter where they are. They're always going to be stepping into that place where they're going to be putting everything in the context of dispensationalism. And what's more important to them is dispensations. doesn't matter where they are in the text of Scripture. So they're all about promoting their system rather than simply exposing the Word of God. I, I love what John Piper says on this one. I would consider myself a Calvinist. Um, and John Piper would consider himself that too. But he says to pastors, say, listen. He says, if a passage sounds Arminian, preach it. Arminian. If there's a passage that sounds like you can lose your salvation, it's there to warn people about the very, very nature of the, the possibility that they're in danger. People need to be warned. People need to be taken up to the brink. But theologically speaking, I wouldn't say you can lose your salvation. But there are passages that just kind of hear you're like, wow, this is really, really heavy. Hey, when scripture says what it says, you've got to preach what it says. You know I mean? Don't force your system to make it say something different. That's the point. Okay? Let scripture speak. The next one, the psychologist. It's good to see all of you people here today who are you know, struggling with, with all of your, your various diseases. And I um, just want to encourage you today that, you know, just all, let's, let's just stop and have a grip hug. And, um, you know, we'll, and it's just, it's just, Using the pulpit as a platform for promoting psychology. Okay? Um, and when someone does that, they're really um, taking advantage of a very, very precious position and abusing it thoroughly. Because they're saying the answer isn't God, isn't His Word, they're saying it's psychology. Okay? The next one, the naked preacher. I know images are not good right now. Alright? But the naked preacher is the idea of, hey, you know, I just want to be real. I want to be authentic. And with my authenticity, you can just see that I'm just a real person, that I struggle with real sinful issues, and I want to tell you about my week and my story and my this and my and my and my and my and my and, my and me. Listen, it's not going to take you long to know that I'm a sinful creature. That although I am a minister of God's word, I'm just like you. I struggle. I get angry every once in a while. Um, I, you see, it doesn't take a while. I don't have to really, you know, just bear it all. We're kind of in this bear it all culture where it's like, you know, everyone just has to show how, how real they are. Um, that's not what God calls the pastor to do. The politician. That's why we have 
aisles in churches, you know that, right? Democrats on the one side, Republicans on the other, right? And if we had a balcony, we'd put all those, you know, libertarians up there, you know, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm just joking, okay? All right, I'm going back to the entertainer thing, all right? Um, but it's so, it's so easy, and you go to some cultures, though, there's the South, I want to say, you know, everyone's a Republican, God's a Republican, Jesus is a Republican, right? I mean, and, and when the rapture happens, he's going to ask you if you were a Republican, too. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's happening, right? And you go into other, I mean, in other cultures, and, and the same could be said about being a Democrat. And it's all, it's all a platform for political issues. It's a neglect of what God has called the pastor to do for me. And there's the end-time guru, right? The end-time guru can find truths about end-times under every nook and cranny, stone and bush that is found in Scripture. I mean, some verse of Scripture may be obscure, but they'll find a way to determine that Gorbachev actually is the Antichrist. I mean, it's just the way it is. It's just that they, they view the Word of God through these lenses that all they're seeing is end times, end times, end times. Right? Then there's the hobby horse writer. The best, and I guess, I guess the example I can give you this is what Alistair Beck shared about some guy that he interacted with years ago. And uh, the guy was preaching on a passage, I can't remember what it was, but it was a passage, and he was basically saying, you know, that I know the first point is, um, you know, we should all love Jesus. The second point is, you know, we should share the gospel of the lost. And then the, the, the last point is, no more thoughts on baptism. Because all he wanted to talk about was baptism, baptism, baptism. So, no matter where he was, he would always land on that particular hobby horse topic. Okay? Now, we had some fun going through some of these, and I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, as a preacher of God's Word, there have, in my, in my pastoral history, there have been pressures put on them by various people as they walk out or as they see me during the week to say, you need to do this, and you need to talk more about this, and you need to go here and go there, and you're just kind of like, oh, you know, and there's a pressure to kind of want to please people. And yet, God hasn't called the pastor to please people. He's called the pastor to please God. Yet, at the same time, I'll tell you what, there's an internal battle saying, do I really want to say this? Do I really want to go there? And when I do the battle, you know, of course, God always wins, and I go there, and people don't like it, and all that kind of stuff. Right? There's just a real pressure to want to conform to some of these things, because, you know what, it's, it's, you feel pretty good when you're, when you're a cheerleader, and people are all happy with you, right? And, oh, that was great, you know, you just did my test today, you just encouraged me, oh, yeah, I feel good, come back next week, I'll do it again. That, that's what God's called me to. And Francis, that's what God has called you to be a part of, and understand this, because we're living in an entertainment culture, God hasn't called you to come and be entertained when the Word is being ministered. He's called you to come and to listen and to benefit from it, right? If you write your chapter, you know what we're talking about. How to be an expository listener. It's work at times, right? I, I've, in my again, pastoral history, I've had, you know, some people say to me, Pastor Rod, um, the um, attention span of an individual right now, um, scientists have determined, is 20 minutes. So your message should only be 20 minutes long. Because after 20 minutes, you know, people just lose it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a second. Um, where does the work on the part of the person who's listening come in? You know, listen, I'm going to be boring. Right? Personally, me, I'm going to be dull and boring at times, if not most times. And the work is going to be on you to fight and to work hard because God is speaking through a frail, boring messenger. Listen, you, 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 you want to nudge in here, you're boring. It's true, but that you stay real with us. Okay, right. You get on. Okay. Um, oh, sorry. Um, right. it, it is, it is, it's really, it's really hard in the sense of what people want. That God has called, God has called us to do what he has called us to do, and that's found there in verse 2. Well, 
just look at verse 1 of, of this passage. I mean, look at the solution. I mean, this is the problem. It's, it's a mess out there. And you might want to say, you know, even, even our culture says, why, why would you even want to go and spend an hour listening to some guy open the Word of God and tell you that you sin and we need to get right with God? I mean, hello, what's going on with you? There's so much confusion out there, friends. This is exactly what we need. There is no message out there. There is no solution out there that is crisp, that is certain, that is timeless, will always, always, always be true. God's word is the answer that we need in the midst of our confusion. We need to embrace it. We need to believe it. And God has called the pastor, but he's called us also to embrace that reality. Now, let's go back to the solution. And here I want to focus on three parts of this passage. First of all, the charge. I'm calling the charge. Verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God. This is Paul charging Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Would you say that's a pretty weighty charge? I mean, it's the Apostle Paul, right? his mentor. But in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Do we, do we have to throw anyone else in there? I mean, I have to throw it at this. Those are pretty well the big hitters, right? I mean, this is a serious charge. This is, this is a command. This is what I'm saying. You need to be doing, right? Who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom? So just, just note that, that what God is, is speaking through Paul to Timothy is a charge that has authority to do what he's calling him to do. And I just little, little pause as we step back from this. If you're teaching the Word of God, if, if I'm a pastor and I'm preaching the Word of God, I, I must preach with authority. Because it's not my authority that I'm preaching. It's God's authority. As a, I love what the Puritans used to say, it's a very, very simple definition of preaching. I, as a preacher, am a mouthpiece to the text. I am just simply a vehicle through which God is speaking. It's my job simply to open my mouth and to allow what God says to be proclaimed relevant in a, in a relevant way to the culture that is in front of me. So it's to be done with authority. Let's look at the content of the specifics now of what he's talking about. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. We're going to come back to defining preach the word. But he says, listen, to preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. In other words, you know, always, always, always be ready and willing to open up the word of God and to minister it and to, to speak it. Be ready in season, out of season. When it's popular, when it's unpopular. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now see, those are, there's two words there that people would just like to be able to cut out. Reprove, rebuke. You know, we can't believe he talked about that today. He was so harsh with us about that today. Well, God's called the pastor to reprove. He's called the pastor to rebuke. But he's also called the pastor to exhort, which means to encourage, to give them direction, to give them guidance. And people like that, but just don't tell me that I have a problem. I mean, it's, uh, no one might, I mean, how many of you would like to set up a rebuking appointment? I'd be happy to come over and, and be that guy. No, we don't like it. But here's the thing. Um, how many of you, how many of you enjoy going to the dentist? You guys, any, any strange people that like going to the dentist? for 
things that they're doing. I mean, it's not, it's not typical that I would in a message go up and say, no, let's all talk about Rebecca right now because of the sin that she has, all right? I mean, there's this whole kind of weird concept that people fear that, well, there, there are going to be applications that are thrown out there, and you're going to have to determine whether or not that's you. Faith, the faith, 
first one. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Verse 6 of chapter 4. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of, of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So, the, the faith, the good doctrine you followed. Chapter 6 and verse 14. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is described there as a commandment. Okay? And look at chapter 6 and verse 20. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Right, guard is the deposit entrusted to you. Now, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. I got too fast for you guys. Okay. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and beginning at verse 14. And now what we're going to be reading now through the end of this chapter is right before our text for today. Okay. But as for you, Paul says to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with what? The sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Next chapter, I charge you in the presence of God. See how it falls right in there. So this, this theme throughout the pastoral epistles is that what Timothy is to be preaching, this preach the word, just encompasses all of of the, the passages of Scripture, and all of the guarding, all of the commandments, all of this deposit is all part of, of what he is to be preaching. Now, you say, well, you know, I understood that, Pastor. Well, let's make sure that we understand that, that when this expression, preach the word, is used, that it, it is a synonym or a summary statement of those commands. Now, when we talk about expository preaching, we're going to be kind of moving a little bit uh, down the path here to to um, to understand that expository preaching is not simply a style of preaching. Okay, you may have heard expository preaching being, being talked about as a style of preaching, like like there's topical preaching, there's biographical preaching, there's doctrinal preaching, and then there's expository preaching. And the idea that it'll be expository preaching is when you go through a book of the Bible. Now, although Expository preachers typically do go through a book of the Bible. That is not what expository preaching is. Expository preaching basically says it's preaching, but you know, all that is taught about preaching is, is used to, to kind of to be this umbrella to, to look at the whole subject of preaching. Now let's just before we actually get to a definition, I want to go through two words, right? The two words are first of all, exegesis, which means to lead out. Exegesis means to lead out. It is allowing the text to speak freely so that what we say is what the text is saying. The text of Scripture rules us. We stand under the text of Scripture. So, if next week I was going to be speaking from the book of Philippians, and let's just say that I really didn't have that huge of a grasp of Philippians. I hadn't preached on it before. My job as a pastor then would be to go study the book of Philippians and to find out what it says. And when I find out what it says, put it into some format that would be helpful for you to grasp what God is saying to the Philippian church. And then, when you understand what you said to the Philippian church, ultimately then what does that mean for you and me today? It's what the text says. So exegesis, the idea of leading out is, is mining. Okay, so one of, one of the jobs that I have to do as a pastor, and what you guys can do too, especially with all the tools that we have these days, is we can exegete scripture, meaning we can dig deeper, we can find out what these words mean, how they are related, what they're talking about. Okay, because we really want to make sure we understand what God meant when he wrote that particular letter, or wrote that particular book to the context that he was
was writing it to. And then ultimately, once we have that, then we can translate that, those realities, into modern conclusions. Okay? That's exegesis. Eisegesis is the next one. Eisegesis is to put into, is to put into, it's coming to a text with preconceived ideas and pressing those ideas on that text so that it says what you want it to say. It's not going to the text kind of with a blank slate and say, okay, well, what is it saying? Let me find out. It's saying, all right, I'm going to be in Philippians. Now, I'll say Philippians. I want to talk about such and such, whatever it might be. Let's say joy. I want to talk about joy. Joy is a good thing. And, and I want my people to know that joy is a good thing. So I'm going to go to Philippians. And I'm just going to find out what it says about joy. And I'm going to pick and choose what places, you know, it says about joy and, and you know, make a message about it. The problem with that is I'm going with preconceived ideas and I may not understand why joy is even mentioned in Philippians because I haven't taken the time to execute what is there. So, okay, what are you talking about, Pastor? I use all these big terms. Right, but the bottom line is this. I Jesus is this. I come with an idea already determined in my head and I go to Scripture to find places that seem to prove my idea. Okay? Those places may not prove my idea. But I am forcing my thoughts and my ideas on Scripture. This is what happens in the cults. The cult leader says, uh -huh, you know, I want to manipulate these people. I'm going to come to a passage of Scripture. I'm going to make it say something that it actually doesn't say. So people will say, wow, you're such a great teacher. You found that incredible negative truth there. I guess I'll have to listen to you and believe you. And oftentimes what happens is, those co-leaders don't want their people to be students of the Word. I remember one time, this was years ago, um, and you know, there was a certain pastor near where I was ministering. I was an associate at this time. And that pastor told his people, I don't want you to get study Bibles. I don't want you to be looking at tools and stuff like that. God has called me to be your pastor. I will tell you what to believe. He wanted control. And friends, God has called us not to be eisegetes, but to be exegetes. You should get a t-shirt, I'm an exegete, alright? God wants us to come to his word and say, what does it say? What does it mean? Not, what do I think it means? But what does it say? What does it mean? And we, we have the ability to do that. Okay. Now, let's get a little bit more technical now, right? Are you guys asleep yet? I told you. I told you it was going to be in it. All right, here Here's that, my definition of expository preaching. Expository preaching is the communication of a biblical concept derived from and transmitted through a historical, grammatical, and literal study of a passage in its context, which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality and experience of the preacher, then through him to his hearers. If you're in eighth grade right now, understand, never write a sentence like this, okay? It's a run-on. It's long. Right, but it is purposeful. And, and let me just break it down for you. I don't want to be too technical here, but expository preaching is the communication of the biblical concept. And don't, don't get drawn away by the whole idea of concept, because the next few words flesh out more specifically what that concept means. Derived from and transmitted through historical, grammatical, and literary study of the passage in its context. So what does that mean? Actually happened to Joseph. 
He was taken by his brothers. He was thrown in a pit. They faked his death. He was carried. He was carried off by these guys to Egypt. He was a servant in Potiphar's house. That all happened. It's all part of the story, right? Now, I believe literally that's what is taking place. Those that would say they're not literally would say it's allegorical. That didn't really happen. That story is just there to kind of, you know, help us know things and their symbols and ideas that are in there that we have to dig and we have to find out. So when we talk about being literal, we're saying we're taking it literally, understanding there are different genres. You know, you read poetry different than you read a love letter, right? Well, maybe your love letter is a poetry, right? I don't know, right? Right. Well, it's this. Don't get hung up on the word literal, meaning you can't, you can't view. speech in our literal communication, don't we? And we talk about, you know, I wish I was a fly on the wall. You don't literally mean you wish you were a fly on the wall. You might look like one, but you wish, you know, it, you're using it literally as a figure of speech. Are you all in there? No, oh, if you like, that's okay. I'll deal with you, Adam, a little bit later, right? Grammatical. Grammatical. Um, that simply means that we want to know what the meanings of the word are. source in scripture. 
this topic today. Sometimes, I'll tell you what, sometimes as I'm preparing, let's just say we're studying through a book, I may not actually find that core purpose for that particular passage until, let's say, you know, Wednesday of the week. Because I'm trying to find out what is, what's the core thing being talked about here. And I'm wrestling, I'm doing all the grammar, I'm doing all the history, I'm trying to find out how it's being used in its context and all that kind of stuff. I want to make sure I get it right. So it's really, really important to make sure that the, the message finds its own source in Scripture, not in my head, but in Scripture. It's there. This is what it says. Secondly, the message is extracted from Scripture through careful exegesis. Right? Which is what we've talked about so far. The message preparation correctly interprets Scripture in its normal sense and its context. They give you a passage of Scripture that for years has been misused. You've heard me talk about this, I'm sure. Proverbs is a 25, 29, where there is no vision, the people perish. I've heard that before. And it was often used for missions conferences. It was the, the big banner. And, but the purpose behind it was saying, we need to have a vision for missions. We need to have a vision for missions. That passage says nothing about having a vision for, mis- for missions. What that passage is talking about is the fact where there is no vision, how did God communicate to his people in history? Through prophets, and those prophets often had visions, literally that means a revelation of God. When God's word is not revealed, what happens to people? They perish, literally they run wild, is what the text says. Okay, now, it's still a good verse for missions, agreed? Let's go take the word of God to people that haven't heard the word of God before, because if we don't, they're going to perish. They're in our own world. But that's not how it was used. It was used in a modern visionary context. You understand? So it's, it's very easy for us to, to, to not understand what that verse is talking about if we don't look at the context and the proper sense of what's going on. Here's the next thing. The message clearly explains the original God-intended meaning of Scripture. That's what we're looking for. But it, what was God saying to those people through that particular individual? Then ultimately the message applies the scriptural meaning for it today. Okay. Um, let's look at two quick examples of this. We just have a couple of minutes here. Um, I want to look at quick, two quick examples. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. It's a great passage of scripture, and I hope you, you take some time to read it. But beginning at verse 1, um, literally the people are gathered after they have built the, the, the walls, they've, 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 you know, they've restored the gates, and all the work is done. The people gather together as one man, it says, and they start chanting, bring out the book, bring out the book, bring out the book. Because the, the word of God had not been ministered. Um, greatly during that time. They were hungry for God's truth, and so they start chanting it. As it brings it out, the people all stand. They build a, a, a platform with a pulpit, which is where the kind of idea comes from, and it begins to read it. And this is a little later on at the end of that passage. It says this, they read from the book of the, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So here's the deal. Ezra reads, and there's just thousands of people. And there are people now that go among the people, and they read it again, and they they read it in such a way that the people clearly understand it. They explain what is being read. And then it says, once they've explained what is being read, so that the people would understand the reading. So what's the goal here? Is that what is being read, what is being said, would be understood, right? Here's the goal. It's just a simple fashion of what's going on, really, in the whole process of, of preaching and teaching. And it's right there in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8. There's a whole much more to say about that passage, but that's good for now. Then Acts 20 and verse 26. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Um... A faithful expositor of God's word is not going to skip over hard passages of scripture. Let me just pause here for a moment and just say this. Now, when, we, when we actually officially launch the church, most of our time is going to be going through books of the Bible or large portions of scripture 
and because we were not going to have time for the messages, we will. I hit some specific things that, that, that we have need to look at, but most of our time, the lion's share is going to be working through text of scripture. And you know what? If we come to a passage that is hard, that is controversial, that you know might cause someone to say, hey, I'm not going to attend here anymore, guess what? We're going after it. We're going to dig in and we're going to study it. Why? Because it's all part of the whole counsel of God. You with me there? That's what God's called us to. If we avoid it, we're not giving people a balanced diet. And people need a balanced diet. I especially need a balanced diet. Okay? We need that balanced diet. Alright, now, so I'm going to regroup a little bit again. This is another summary statement here. Just of expository preaching. And, and hopefully you'll, you'll grasp what it is that I'm ultimately trying to say here. Expository preaching is the application of a philosophy of the mandate to preach the word given by God through Paul to all who handle God's word before a gathered flock. So this is all about how you approach God's word. This is all about your attitude. This isn't about me. I remember we, looked, we went through that list of different kinds of preachers. It's so easy to go into a preaching moment saying, you know what? I sure hope these people like that illustration I gave because I really want them to think that I was really cool in coming up with it. It's not about me. If I come up with a good illustration, it's like, thank you. <laughs> you know, it wasn't about me. God did it. He's the one that revealed it. But sometimes it's so easy to, to want that. All right. Secondly, it encompasses all styles of preaching. Topical, biographical, theological, doctrinal. Let me explain this. doesn't matter what, what the various issue is. Every time I come to the Word of God, I'm asking myself the question, God, what do you say about this? And you know what? I want to find things that I don't know. If I'm just preaching things I know, then I'm not really doing exegesis. So it says, God, speak. You be the one that shows me. You be the one that teaches me. You be the one that exposes your word to me so that I can expose what I have found to your people. So if it's a topical message, I'll tell you what, the hardest messages to preach are topical messages. Why? Because you might be going in various different passages, which means that every passage you quote, you've got to do some work on to make sure that what you're pulling out of that passage is actually what has been talked about in that passage. It's expository because you're saying, right, God speak, God speak. And you may be trying to say, with that verse, if I twist it this way, it would really be helpful, but it's not what I'm saying. So you've got to do the hard work. Whereas it's much easier to say, right, here's one paragraph. I'm just going to dig into that. Okay. That's where you get asked the question, is this what God says, or is this what you are saying? Now, let me, let me clarify this. Are there going to be times when, as a pastor, or maybe as a teacher, you're going to say, you know, we need to, we need to look at a particular topic. Um, and, uh, you know, so we want to kind of go in this direction. Um, let's just say the topic's dating. Is there one passage of scripture in the Bible that says this is this is the this is the one passage I'm dating? If you find it, let me know. All right, you won't. Um, but sometimes you have to look in scripture first of all to find out is it even a biblical concept? Let the scripture speak. Okay. Um, rather, there are times when we can say there is a need that we have to address, so we have to go to God's word to find the answers to that need. Okay, you follow me there? But you can still do that in an expository way because you're not bringing your thoughts onto the text. You're saying, God, here's the subject matter now. What does your word say about this? And it's your word that needs to speak. Okay? Number four, is it authoritative, clear, and connects from the text to contemporary life? How we live, think, behave, and relate to, uh, to this culture. Now, write the, write the, the expression timeless truths next to that. Ultimately, in your Bible study, as you're doing exegesis, as you're trying to find out what God says to that particular culture, you're looking for truths that were true then, whether it was Jesus' day or Paul's day or even way back in the Old Testament, that those truths are timeless and are true today. 
because that's what you take on. That's what you say, this is for me, ultimately. One of these timeless truths. So anytime you see the character of God, guess what? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is timeless. And there are principles from God's Word that are timeless, and that's what we ultimately are looking for uh, as we go through each passage. Let's continue on here. Its goal is not an emotionalism. It's not people coming forward for prayer, but a growing repentance and strengthening from God, which permeates a person's everyday life. So, well, that's, that's quite a mouthful there. Um, my goal as a pastor is not for everyone just to weep. Or jump up and go Yahoo, or whatever it might be. It's not for this kind of, uh, what's the word, just, just an emotionalism. I don't say spiritual emotionalism. Although we may get emotional, that's okay. Is it okay to be emotional about the things of God? Absolutely. But as a pastor, my goal is not to create an atmosphere where you'll be emotional. That's not my goal. My goal is to minister the word. And if you are responding emotionally, that's great. It's not people coming forward for prayer, although anytime if you want to pray, let's let's pray. Otherwise, the goal is not to say, see how many people came forward this week. That's not the goal. Here's, here's the goal, and here's, here's what makes us and will make us a mature church. Get this, this last part. But a growing repentance and strengthening from God, which permeates a person's everyday life. And here's how you become an expository listener. You sit and you listen to the Word of God being preached, and as it's being preached, the Holy Spirit comes and He's grabbing you and He's squeezing you and He's convicting you. And you're saying, I don't want to listen to you, but He squeezes you some more, and you say, you know, I'm going to listen to you. And that is all happening in that moment. And it's a steady, week in, week out, day by day, growth in Christ Jesus. God's word is being applied as it's being spoken. His word is convicting as it's being spoken. And it's happening constantly. And it may have happened a number of times here today. It may not. I don't know. But it's just this constant strengthening that comes as the word of God is preached, as is taught. So it's not some kind of a, you know, we're not going to space we're not going to see the fruit necessarily immediately. It is steady growth. That's our goal, steady growth. Number six, it's not one part of the Sunday morning experience, but the central focus of the gathered church. Now let me just say this. That is sometimes hard for our brothers and sisters who are, who are musical and who help us with worship. I praise the Lord for Ilya. I praise the Lord for Elia. Differently than I prayed that way. Um, that's, that's a whole other story, right? But, but people who love music and, and, and want to use their music to glorify God can feel that what they're doing is inferior. And I wouldn't necessarily say that it's inferior. It's all part of what we're doing here on a Sunday morning. That the central focus ultimately is to hear God's word speak. And I love how Elia brings in themes to complement what's being talked about here. Let me just bring this up. You may have noticed this over a thousand times to say, first stanza number four, he speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful broken hearts rejoice, the humble poor believe. And this is because God has spoken. So all he's doing is complimenting and supporting and coming around and beefing up what God is going to be saying today through his word. Okay, but the central focus is the ministry of the word. Number seven, God has called preachers to preach the word, not communicators to move people. My job isn't to move you. My job is to preach the word and let the Holy Spirit move you. It doesn't mean I don't persuade, I do. I push, I prod. And guess what? Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to do the job. Alright? Now, we've tried to cover a really big topic, and I, I was going to show you a short amount of time, but that wouldn't be true. Um, let me just give you this, these last five things. These are really important. And, um, Billy, I'm going to ask me if we don't close with this song today, okay? See, I, I just use him as an illustration. I'm just cutting him out from the knees, but he understands that, alright? Um, let's just, let's just, uh, finish with these things. All right, we, we must have a high view of preaching, which is what we really talked about for the most part, but I want, I want to take it a, a step 
further the high view of teaching. It's not that we say what we do in expository stuff, well, let not do that, but when we teach in class, or we do some kind of a thing outside of a Sunday morning, that we can kind of let things go. Absolutely not. This must be true in our teaching. It also must be true, get this, in small groups where application is the focus. Can I just say this? As a pastor, I cannot apply the passage of Scripture to everyone who is sitting here in your particular unique struggle. Can I? I wouldn't want to embarrass you with that. Okay? But in the context of a small group, you're with people probably that you're maybe a little more intimate with, you may be open to talking about some things. There you can say, right, you know, this is what was talked about. Now, how do we flesh this out in our particular context? But let's remember that it's still the Word of God that is speaking, that is driving us to the point of application. It's not what, what I think about this verse. And please hear this. It doesn't matter so much what you think that the passage means. What matters is what it means. So in the context of a small group, someone who's leading that small group must have a grasp of what it means to be an expositor in that sense. Okay? Let the word say what it's going to say. In our counseling, friends, this is so important. Why is it that we can preach hard on a Sunday morning, we can teach hard in a class, even in small groups, we can say, let's stick to the word, but when it comes to counseling, we throw our Bibles out the window. God's word speaks to people who are going through difficulty and struggle. It is what they need. Okay? And especially in the context of counseling, it's one to one. What we're saying, thus says the Lord, here's what he says. Follow what he says. Do what he says. In evangelism, there's a lot of, there's a lot of techniques you can use. Right? But if you, if you take away the word of God, you're probably not doing evangelism. Right? The word of God is absolutely necessary for evangelism. But the word of God needs to say what it says. And the word of God is very, very clear. It's very, very bold. And it is to someone who's an unbeliever, can't seem very, very harsh, right? You are a sinner. I mean, you go around telling people they're sinners. You go to the grocery store, you go up and say, hey, how are you doing today? You're a sinner. And as you're checking out, hey, you know, you're a sinner, good to see you today. But I'll better be a debit, okay? Well, and it's the truth. And when you evangelize, you've got to get to the place where you're saying that hard stuff. Not you so much, but you're revealing what God's Word says. You're letting the Word of God say what it says. So just to put it down into a nutshell, expository preaching and expository teaching is simply allowing the text of Scripture to say what God um, is saying in that text, and then translating it to the modern context where you're applying it to your life. Okay? It's not forcing something on scripture. Alright? Um, let's just take, I know we, we can get clean up here real quick, let's just take just a couple minutes for quick questions on this. Okay? Any, any questions? 